This episode contains material that might be triggering for some. If you need to stop the podcast at any time to take care of yourself, please do so. If you need support, you can call the 24-7 National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Dialectical Behavior Therapy was created in the 1980s by Marsha Linehan in Seattle, Washington. Today, DBT is taught all over the world. We're two therapists who believe everyone can benefit from DBT skills. I'm Kate. I'm Michelle. And And this this is is DBT and Me. Hello, everybody, and good morning, afternoon, evening, whatever it may be for you. (laughs) It's Kate and Michelle back again with another Q&A episode. Finally, it's been a little bit since our last one, but we've got some stuff for you guys. So We do. And, you know, again, we're always excited to hear and to share, so uh, keep it up. But I think Michelle has our first email today. Yeah. So this email reads, Hi, Kate and Michelle. I've been listening to your podcast for a month now. And since I quit therapy due to certain unavoidable situations, your podcast has been my savior. I'm struggling with BPD. I struggle at home to manage my emotions because I find my parents triggering sometimes. My father and I don't get along much, and I think he is judgmental most of the time. And so I'm most anxious around him. Some days we have disagreements and I have disproportionate anger outbursts that upset me and my family. I get urges to self-harm. I've been practicing mindfulness to manage my emotions and the distress tolerance skills, but I feel all my work on myself goes down the drain when it comes to managing my emotions with my family and loved ones. I'm a person who probably does not even know anything about maintaining my boundaries too. Hence, I face real issues in managing my emotions when it comes to conflicts with loved ones. All the work that I'm doing for myself or have done seems to not pay me back and I feel disheartened. I need some of your pieces of advice here. I don't have help, but your podcast has helped a lot. And for that, I'm grateful to you both. You are doing great work and more power to both of you. Thank you so much. I like that. Um, Well, first of all, I will say that obviously with families there's a lot of backstory so anything we say here is kind of meant to be generalized advice hopefully it's still helpful and feels um you know personal enough to be helpful listener um but if it misses the mark a little bit we apologize uh because we only have so much information um and the first thing i wanted to say is families are hard families are hard i was thinking of uh, i don't know trying to think of an analogy And it would be like if you were just starting out trying to learn how to run and then you tried to run, I don't know, in the loose sand of a beach or you tried to run up the side of a mountain and you couldn't or you struggled a lot and you'd be like, I I don't even know how to run. (laughs) I'm never going to be able to do this. Like, no, 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 no. Like, this is the hardest place to possibly put these skills to the test. Right? So I understand getting disheartened and I would also say you know, try not to be because, yeah, this is the hardest possible, I don't know, testing ground for these kinds of skills, right? I mean, if you think about us, a lot of our issues, a lot of our struggles kind of come out of our family 
you know, our families kind of do a lot to make us who and how we are. So, you know, a lot of those things, those, you know, those emotional issues or the problems with boundaries or the other stuff may well have been formed in the family that you're now trying to break those habits with. So, um, that's just meant to be, I guess, a lot of validation and an invitation to be less hard on yourself. Um, I think this is something I've said before, and it's something I'm sure to say again, uh, don't be a dick to yourself, because uh, it will just make things worse, right? So it's already hard enough if our skills break down in a hard situation. Um, but if we add to that, I don't know, being discouraging to ourselves, being hard on ourselves, being mad at ourselves or anything like that, um, it's just going to make it even worse and even harder to be skillful next time. Um, so remember, families are hard and be nice. <laughs> be nice to yourself. Um, and then one thing that's a little bit more of an actual skill um, I would recommend is differentiation, which is kind of the ability to remember that you are your own person with your own thoughts and emotions and truths and experiences. And so are other people and trying to put a little crowbar separation between those two things. Um, sometimes I have literally had clients just sort of chant inside their own heads. I'm me and they're them, right? Like this is me and that's them. Something that reminds them that they're separate from the person that they're in emotional conflict with. Um, you know, you mentioned your father being judgmental. Um, so one of the places the differentiation could be helpful here might be reminding yourself that what he thinks of you isn't necessarily the truth about a truth about you, excuse me, right? You are allowed to have your own opinions and your own truth about yourself, and you don't have to accept it. So he's not the arbiter of reality. Um, his op opinions about you don't count more than yours, right? So sometimes it can help, you know, make other people's emotions or other people's judgments of us less impactful if we can really give those back to them. <laughs> right? Those are those. They, oh, I'm tripping over my tongue today. <laughs> Those are their emotions. Those are their judgments, not mine. I'm having my own emotions and I have my own judgments and I don't have to take on theirs. So I don't know if that's helpful, but I hope it is. Best of luck. I definitely understand families make everything harder to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with your two main points there, which is like families are hard and be nice to yourself. <laughs> yeah, because because family one. families are the hardest. They really are. Um, we can figure out sometimes how to make changes or use skills or communicate differently with friends or coworkers or all sorts of other people. But when it comes to family, that's a level up. It's way yeah. more challenging. So I really like that you emphasize that a lot in your response. Um, for me, my thoughts with reading this is, yeah, I really honed in on where you said that, you know, you're doing all this work for yourself and it doesn't seem to pay you back and you feel disheartened. That really stood out to me in what was written here. And I don't know if this is true or not, but how that sounds to me, um, what I think you're saying there, listener, is that really you're hoping that you're going to be different, act different, you're going to use your skills, and that you're going to have a different outcome from your family members. You're going to get a different response from them. Things are going to go differently than before. And if we're hoping that other people are going to change it's a recipe for disappointment. It, it just is. We can be doing everything, quote unquote, right. 
we can be using our skills, we can be keeping ourselves in check, whatever it is, and the other person that we're interacting with may still interact with us the way they always do. And they may not change at all. <laughs> and if we're expecting them to be different, we're going to be disappointed. So that's just something to maybe keep in mind or notice about yourself. I fall into this regularly <laughs> where <laughs> I catch myself hoping that the other person is going to be different. And then I get disappointed when they're still them <laughs> um, because I'm wanting them to be different, but I can't, I can't control them no matter how hard I may try. We can't control anyone but ourselves. So yep. with that being said, I recommend that you keep working on yourself. You know, you mentioned you've been practicing mindfulness, the distress tolerance skills. That's fantastic. You know, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Stay the course. And even if your family members don't wind up changing, you're still going to be changing and that's worth something that that counts for a lot that you're doing that work for yourself so pretty soon listener we're going to be getting into interpersonal effectiveness skills and some of that could potentially be helpful for you you know we save the interpersonal effectiveness stuff till last because distress tolerance and emotion regulation and mindfulness those are really individual things that you can do purely on your own. And then we kick it up a notch with interpersonal effectiveness because that's all about communicating with another person. So there could be some stuff that we talk about within the interpersonal effectiveness module that might also be helpful for you when it does come to interacting with your family members. So we're going to have down the line like an episode all about boundary setting. So there may be some stuff coming up that could be helpful for you to add on in addition to the mindfulness and the distress tolerance that you're already doing. So hopefully that will help in a few weeks when we get there. Nice. Cool. All right. Let's see what is next. All right. This email reads Kate and Michelle. Thank you for your podcast and all the effort that you put into this. I just finished listening to your episode on radical acceptance, and this really hit home for me. I will try to keep this short, but I cannot promise. Thank you for taking the time to read this. I have two adult children, and the youngest is a special needs person. For years before our children were born, I struggled with mental health issues, mainly depression, but stir in a couple suicide attempts. Growing up Christian, I always had God as an anchor to hold on to, believing that he would never let me down then our youngest child was born. Through a long series of events and a couple of surgeries, one of which was brain surgery, it was determined that their brain did not develop properly before they were born. In the end, we had to place them in a group home for special needs children at the age of 14. A couple of things happen in the build-up to this transition. First, we had an option that, while it would have taken work, I believe we could have kept our youngest child at home. My wife believed that the group home was the only option. Second, since I believe that God created my child, then he created them knowing that I would have to admit that I could not take care of them and have to place them in a group home. I could not understand how a loving God could do this. The end result is that I am broken. I no longer have an anchor to hold onto during my bouts of depression. My head understands why we had to transition our child to a group home, but my heart does not. Then, a few months ago, I surrendered all decision-making to my wife, more history than what is here, and we are now in the process of going through a divorce. So, while I listened to your episode on radical acceptance, I saved it so that I could listen to it again. I am in therapy, not with a DBT therapist, and I am on medication. 
Earlier this year, I went through about eight hours of testing and was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, depression, severe and recursive, and self-harm. Now that I am at the end of this email, I'm not sure what I'm asking for in reply, other than maybe I just wanted to share with people that underneath the book smarts, this is the reality of radical acceptance. Yeah, what an email. I mean, I just really felt for this listener because this this is certainly a huge hard situation to be dealing with and one of the lines that stood out the most to me of like that really captures what radical acceptance is all about is when the listener says my head understands why we had to transition our child to a group home but my heart does not because that's so much of what radical acceptance is our head is telling us one thing our heart is telling us another and a lot of times we want to listen to our hearts Mm -hmm. (laughs) we want to go with what feels good with you know what or who we love we don't want to give up on that and look at the reality of what's going on and accept the facts of the situation basically what our head is telling us we don't want to do that and even if our head can understand our heart doesn't and that's why radical acceptance is this continual journey it's not a one-time event (laughs) we have to do it over and over and over again so that really stood out to me in this email and the other thing that really stood out to me was when you know this listener said i no longer have an anchor to hold on to during my bouts of depression you know that anchor referring to god and i am not a religious leader in any kind of way (laughs) i haven't read my bible in a hot minute i haven't gone to church in a long time i mean so even though i mentioned I can't remember which episode. I think it was in Proof. I've mentioned that I grew up in the Christian faith as well and all of that. You know, I am by no means an expert or any kind of authority when it comes to religion or spiritual matters. However, I'm going to touch on this a little bit because I think a lot of people hold this view of God. That God, which also the listener said this, God isn't going to let anything bad happen to me. How could a loving God do this i mean we could apply that sentiment to thousands if not millions of situations and many people have thought that to themselves at times and so something to think about here is that my view of god anyway is that god is not a puppet master god is not up there in heaven that's where we want to say god is not up there in heaven pulling strings saying, oh, I'm going to have this happen to that person and this person's going to go over there and orchestrating all of it. I I don't hold that view of God because I think if we do happen to hold that view of God, that God is controlling everything that happens to us, good or bad, then it is going to lead us to feel resentful towards God when bad things happen. But I don't view God as a puppet master. Um, I think maybe perhaps a more helpful way to view God in this scenario or just generally speaking is that God a lot of people view God too as like this parent figure whether you view God as male or female or genderless or whatever (laughs) people view God as this parental figure sometimes and if we think about two really important things when you're a parent the first thing is to love your children 
to love them for exactly who they are, to love them through good times and bad times, to be there for them to lean on you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that you recognize that your children are going to grow up. They are, they are independent adults eventually. They have free choice and they may make choices that you don't like or they may find themselves in really bad situations that were completely outside of your control. You couldn't have done anything to prevent it. You know, life is just shitty sometimes and things happen that suck. And that your goal is to love them through those times and to recognize that they are independent and to kind of launch them and let them live their lives. And so if we view God in that same way, I hold this view that God's going to love us no matter what, no matter what we do, no matter what situations we find ourselves in, and also that God is going to, like a parent would, respect and believe that we kind of have it within ourselves to cope and figure out the bad things that happen to us in life. If as a parent you try to prevent your child from going through anything bad or hard, you're going to fail. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you can't prevent your child from getting hurt. You can't yeah. prevent them from that. And so I don't view it as God's job to prevent us from getting hurt. I view it as God's job is just to kind of love us through when we are hurt. Um, so I don't know if that reframe helps at all, listener, but I hope it does a little bit. And I'm also hopeful that no matter what happens with your relationship with God, whether you come back to God as an anchor for you or whether you don't, regardless of how that turns out, I really hope that you're still able to find hope and goodness some way, somehow. That even though you have this big situation in your life with your child that it's not going away. That's going to be there for as long as your child is alive. This is a huge part of your life. And I also hope that there will be other parts where you can find joy and goodness, whether it's like you see a pretty sunset one day or you get to read a good book or you get to eat good food or like whatever it is that you're still able to find these moments where life feels good and okay, despite having this big struggle with coming to terms with your child being in a group home and not having the life that you saw for them. That's, I think, honestly, even though Kate and I have said this a few times on the podcast, neither of us have children, but I am really, I mean, I believe that that is one of the hardest things to radically accept yes. <laughs> is stuff related to your children and your role as a parent and when their lives aren't going to turn out the way you hoped. It's super, super hard. Um, so I hope for you that there's space to hold the hardship of all of this and to still find joy in other areas of your life and to still create a life worth living for yourself. So those are my thoughts. Okay. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. Similarly to how you started, Michelle, I just wanted to acknowledge that the situation this listener is going through is incredibly hard. Um, and just to thank them for sharing it with us and with the rest of our listeners being willing to be vulnerable in that kind of way and, and put this sort of truth and this experience out there. Yeah. Um, I just want to really say that I appreciate that. Um, you know, Michelle was talking a bit about, uh, you know, 
<laughs> I was going to say the God stuff, which is a weirdly more dismissive than I mean it to be, but right about like those ideas of faith and things like that. And when I was listening to her talk, what, what occurred to me, and again, I think we've shared this previously, I hang out somewhere on the atheist agnostic scale side of things. Um, so what I tend to think is that faith makes us strong, not what we have faith in. Um, and so if the sort of stereotypical Christian God figure um, is no longer something that works for you, listener, um, I think there's a lot of other things that you could try on that maybe faith in those ideas or those higher powers or those beliefs might feel more reassuring, might feel more comforting, might be more of an anchor for you. Um, one of the ones that's always appealed to me, even though I haven't quite crossed into actual faith in it, is maybe the idea of reincarnation. Um, that can kind of frame everything that's going on in this life as something that we're learning, some something that we can then pass on to the next life that we're in as something they won't have to go through, something they'll have learned from and be able to grow from um, as our you know spirit goes from one life into the next. But you know there are there are other gods, goddesses, faiths, religions. Um, there's just all sorts of different places uh, or you know belief systems available um, where you can put your faith, where you can find community, where you can find you know, anchoring and support. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of put out there that maybe it's worth looking around. If that's something that you feel is really missing from your life, you're not constrained to only looking in one place to kind of fill that void. Um, I guess it would be something that I would say. Um, and then also, I just wanted to, like I say, I have monumental empathy for suffering from severe recurrent depression and struggling with self-harm. This is a thing that I've gone through most of my life. Uh, and I know how dark it can make living. Um, one of the things that I think depression can do is make it out like this is how things always have been and how things always will be. It kind of steals all of the joy from our past and makes it like it never was and makes us look into the future and see gray and, and darkness and flatness and a lack of joy. So I would urge you to remember that there has been joy in your life uh, leading up to now, even with all of the hardship that you have gone through, you, you talk about having a life. Uh, it sounds like that also had moments of joy. So don't, don't let depression steal your past. And remember, you're getting help. You're on medications. You're on a path towards healing. And so this doesn't. This also doesn't have to be your whole future. So, I don't know. I guess that's my thoughts there. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So the last one here, we're ending on a short note. Um, this was a question that was posted in our Facebook group. So the question reads... Do you have any materials, strategies, or advice on what to do when you're stuck in being unwilling to use your tools during an upset? I like this one. Um, the first thing I think of is kindly acknowledge your own position. Um, you know, we can't change anything before we're able to name it and see it for what it is. 
but there's also definitely different ways to acknowledge something. We could immediately be an asshole to ourselves. Oh, I see. You learned, took all this time learning these skills and you don't even want to use them. You're just being obstinate, right? We could be down on ourselves about it. So don't do that if you can avoid it. <laughs> Instead, just notice, right? You just pull out some of those mindfulness, bleh, mindfulness skills and just go, oh, I'm really not feeling like using my skills right now. I'm not, not feeling like using the tools that I have at hand. So just either, I don't know, without emotion or tending towards kindness, notice where you are. I think this can also be a good... Um, a good opportunity to use a brief version of check the facts, mainly the what's the threat question. Like, oh, what's what am I perceiving as a threat if I do use my tools, right? If I do use my skills, what am I afraid might happen or what am I afraid might not happen? <laughs> you know, I think there can be a, not wanting to use our skills because we're afraid they won't work. And so we'd rather have not tried than to have tried and failed. So that can be something that we might be afraid of. Um, and also it can just be the lack of familiarity. We Most of us have a lot more practice at going through being upset without using <laughs> these <Yeah>. tools and <laughs> skills than we do using them. It's so like, I don't know what I'm even doing kind of feeling. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like better the devil you know than the than the devil you don't, right? If we if we don't know how this is going to go, the, just the unf you know infam unfamiliarity, yes, unfamiliarity in and of itself can feel threatening. Personally, when I get to a point where I just don't want to use my skills, which happens <laughs> generally, it's because I've gotten to a place in my mind where I'm thinking or I'm feeling like. I'm only using my skills for other people, like to make them more comfortable, to help them be less impacted by me or my emotions to right? Like, I, like I'm doing it for someone else. And if I'm really upset with that person, well, I don't want to do that work for them. Right? <laughs> I get in a sort of, you know, screw you kind of place. I'm not going to use my skills just so your life is easier. I'm mad at you. <laughs> right? And so that can be where I get kind of unwilling and willful and obstinate. Um, so I would just say, remind yourself, this is for you. Even if the main place that you find yourself utilizing these skills is in interactions with other people, that doesn't mean that using your skills is for the other people. This is to make your life better, right? It's, to, it's so you suffer less, so that you feel more in control of yourself and your actions, so that you conduct yourself in a way that feels authentic to who you are and how you want to be in the world, um, so that you aren't as emotionally dysregulated or, you know, overwhelmed. This is, this is really for you. So in an entirely different way than I was saying before when I described why I don't want to use my skills, uh, fuck them. This is about you. <laughs> right? This isn't about them. So let it, let it be about you. And maybe that might be a tool to help you use your tools. That seems a little bit weird. Anyway, yeah, right. That might <laughs> be a ooh, get strategy. There. <laughs> strategy. That's the word I wanted. Yeah. That's a strategy to help maybe shift your thinking a little bit. Yeah, that's totally. There. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I, I really like that you named some of the things that can come up of like reasons for why people typically don't want to use skills. Um, and building off of that, we had this episode recently about pros and cons. Mm -hmm. 
and that's exactly what it talks about with pros and cons so if you're open to it listener you know doing pros and cons even though that is using a scope in and of itself <laughs> but to kind of at least think through <laughs> kind of like what kate was saying you know why what will i get if i use my skills what will i get if i don't use my skills you know just kind of thinking of it that way can help you in making that decision or at least noticing just more of what's going on for you because also like kate said this is where mindfulness can really help you know just noticing that you're having a moment of willfulness which we all have mm -hmm. <laughs> regularly most of the time and notice that you're in a place of being willful and also trust that that will pass we don't feel something forever so just notice that that's where you are and just you know without setting any kind of deadline for yourself or rushing yourself just trust that it will pass whenever it does and in the meantime you know it's, in my opinion, better to do the bare minimum than it is to should on yourself about all of the skills that you should be doing, which is just <laughs> going to make you feel ashamed and bad about yourself. And I also just thought about this right now, but when Kay was talking about how it's important to make sure that you're doing skills for yourself, not because it's what other people want you to do or to calm them down or you know whatever the reason is a lot of times when we should on ourselves if we have that voice in our head that's telling us like well you should be doing your skills and you know mm -hmm. why aren't you doing mm -hmm. this and all that a lot of times that voice can be reminiscent maybe of somebody in our lives maybe a parent or someone like that who maybe they should on us a lot when we were growing up and then we're just doing that to ourselves of like this is what you're supposed to do and you know what you should be doing and so why aren't you doing it and that's going to be an unhealthy headspace to be in <laughs> so it's okay to be in this spot if you're like i don't want to use my skills right now <laughs> to notice that mm -hmm. and then to be like okay so what do i want to do and notice what comes up for you around that um, maybe what you want to do, I mean, it can vary in range, of course. Maybe it's something that's really unhealthy. Maybe it's something that's mildly unhealthy. <laughs> but wherever it falls on that spectrum, notice, well, this is what I want to do. And then see, you know, what comes from there. Whether it's like, okay, I can do that thing and that's not going to have disastrous results, right? Well, what I want to do right now is binge Netflix. Okay, go for it. Why not? <laughs> Binge Netflix, then check back in with yourself in a little bit to see if the situation has passed or to see mm -hmm. what's going on then. If you're having a really unhealthy, like super harmful, this could have devastating consequences <laughs> kind of urge to maybe be like, okay, so I'm sensing there's this, you know, thing that I want to do, whether it's with addiction or whatever it is. Okay, I'm wanting to do that. That could get me into a whole load of trouble. Um, and again, seeing if there's a way to maybe scale that back ever so slightly so that you're not taking a deep dive into that thing that you've done before that's not going to get you very far. But to not put pressure on yourself of like, oh, this is the DBT skill I have to be using right now for this situation. If that comes up organically for you, fantastic. If it doesn't come up organically for you, you can just do your best to try to wait it out and distract yourself and do the bare minimum that you need to do 
to get by, even if you're not actively doing a skill in the meantime. I can almost guarantee you are. If you're distracting yourself, you're probably using <laughs> accepts. Binge-watching Netflix can fall under that, by the way. So you're probably using a skill even if you don't realize you're using a skill if you are able to resist whatever the urge is that's coming up for you in that moment. So, yeah, at the end of the day, be kind to yourself. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's what it comes back to a lot. Don't be a dick to yourself. Be kind to yourself. It's okay to just kind of float by and try to just endure that really hard, painful moment without actively doing a skill if that feels like too much. It's okay. So, yep. Nice. I think that's all, right. all I have so to say. I think, the, I think that's all we have to say. Yep. That's I the think end that's of it. it for today. So, uh, thanks so much for joining us for another Q and A episode. Please keep emailing us. Um, the email address is dbtandmepodcast at gmail .com. We absolutely love hearing from you guys. Uh, so keep it up, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, everyone. Bye. To learn more about us and the DBT skills we're teaching each week, join our Facebook group. Simply log in to your Facebook profile and search for DBT and Me Podcast.